0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Wells Preachers Podcast. We've been working through the season of epiphany under the theme Uncovered, where we're stressing that God's ways are beyond our understanding. So, therefore, the truths of God can't be discovered by us. They need to be revealed to us, need to be uncovered for us. It's kind of the idea behind the theme. The theme for this specific Sunday is Agenda Uncovered. Um, We mentioned in previous weeks how the commentary on the proper for year C is like really careful to connect uh, week to week. So last week's theme was Rejection Uncovered, exploring how it's pretty normal and common for gospel ministry to offend sinful humanity. In our gospel lesson from Luke 4, we looked at Jesus being rejected in his hometown. This week, then, it's almost like a complete 180. We're still in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is doing miraculous healing and casting out demons, Instead of hearing of people rejecting him, we learn that the folks are so enraptured, they beg Jesus not to leave the area, but Jesus says he has to go elsewhere to proclaim the gospel. That's our theme for the week, agenda uncovered, what must be said, not what others want to hear. Our participants for today are Pastor John Borman of Peace in Aiken, South Carolina, Pastor Tim Borman of Sure Foundation in New York, and Professor Paul Wendland, As our seminary commentator, I'm John Hine, the coordinator of Wells Congregational Services. Tim, let me start with you. Can you set the stage for us? What's the main point of this particular week in Epiphany? Can you summarize what we're hoping that God's people take home with them on this specific Sunday?
1: I'm going to give them my best shot. And like, all I can say is that this set of lessons, like all of them, but again, this Sunday so powerful and I think I'm picking up on our theme of the day where it says uh, what must be said it's really a focus what I found in the lessons and I'm going to steal a little bit from length and on the power and premise of the pope but I think this Sunday is really about the power and premise of the word and so you see that in the first lesson in from Jeremiah 1 where it's all about this prophetic ministry that Jeremiah is going to have and his mouth gets touched as if to, to remind us his ministry is going to be all about the word. It's That's what's going to be primary. And it, the power of the word too is there where we're told that, that Jeremiah is going to uproot and tear down and destroy and overthrow and build and plant. Like look, look at all these things that the word is going to do and then he turned the second lesson uh from second timothy chapter three again it's about the power and premise of the word for young pastor timothy and the word is called useful it's 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 sufficient it can rebuke and he's told to preach it so it's power and premise and then of course and i don't want to steal anybody's thunder um it's no different in jesus ministry go figure he's his prophetic ministry is going to be one where we see the power of the word as he rebukes um, the bondage to sin, whether it be sickness or demon possession, but also the, the, the primacy of it, where he says, "I the necessity of it too, I've come
0: to preach the good news. John, keying off that, so the, the second lesson for this week from 2 Timothy, you have Paul warning about spiritual teachers being tempted to scratch itching ears and tell people what they want to hear, which seems to fit the, the daily theme, Agenda Uncovered, What Must Be Said, Not What Others Want to Hear. Yet you and Tim decided to stay in the gospel and finish out Luke chapter 4. Can you share how you think that text really helps drive home our theme of the day?
1: Yeah, you know, so now I feel like I'm doing a little bit of lectionary commentary and maybe building on what Timothy said. It's really interesting to see this this lectionary lineup today. You know, the if you look at the history of this lectionary and I did, I did a little bit of lectionary spelunking because I was like, why does this Jeremiah text link up? Because it used to used to link up with the end of the cliff throwing incident and then it moves here and it connects up here. Which sort of adds this sort of adversarial type edge because you have four like adversarial like pull down type verbs associated with Jeremiah's calling and only two building up and planting verbs, Um, and then you have that itching ears want to hear line that that that's so (laughs) like that 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 language from Paul is is so sticky you know for all of us Um, it's such a powerful line and and so you end up, um, there is an opportunity there, like you say, to preach a sermon that really extends. I, I, I think it really extends the sermon from last week because we are rejected, right? Like, we don't want to stop up our mouths. We still need to preach the gospel. We still need to preach the word. And that's a really legitimate direction, but it's not the direction that, that um, I, I really want to take with this. And the reason, so for me, this is just pastoral theology, Like, I, it's important for our people to hear the rejection stories, the persecution stories, and it's important for us as preachers to hear that. It gives us resilience, it gives us expectation as we encounter the world and we bring the word to people. But on the other hand, um, in the Lucan corpus, there are also, there's also an important motif you get that you have not just... um, Nazareth, you also have Capernaum, these people are, are flooding to Jesus, you know, they really want Jesus to stay, mistakenly so, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, but um, the word of the Lord grows, right, that's, that's Luke, that's Acts, so it's not just, um, some of these times, you know, rejection and acceptance, they often come together, and I think our congregations not only need resilience in the face of persecution, holding to the word in the face of rejection, but also encouragement that um, we can preach the word and sometimes when we preach the word we have so many good things to do that we can take our eye off the ball and forget to preach the word and this is a good this is a good reminder that there god gives us so many great things to do to minister to people but we have got to do the prime work of of bringing the word and the sacrament to people because that's what eternally saves them so that and that's Luke 4 you know that's this Luke
0: 4 text that's excellent thank you Paul it's great to have you join us today Uh, before guys listen to this they've hopefully done their text study that's our encouragement so do you have any thoughts either about the Greek or about what you see as the main point a preacher would want to drive home this week
2: well, maybe it might be helpful if I just talked about a couple of the things that just sort of struck me as I was reading over this pericope. Sure, uh, sure. One of the things that struck me, and this is a small thing, it's not a big deal, is the interplay of imperfect tenses and, and the aorist tenses. Now, if you think to yourself as you're reading narrative, aorist is the backbone. That That kind of sets the this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. And, and then when you see an imperfect, that, that gives the verb a little bit more prominence. It's more vivid. It, it, I don't want to overstate this, but there's, there's something going on for a period of time. Uh, where it might have some significance is, if you look at verse 39, drill down there a little bit. He rebukes the fever of uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And then it says, uh, she gets up and she begins to serve them. And there's then a, that continuous idea. In other words, it's not just that she was healed, that, that the fever left her, uh, but she was restored to full strength again. You know, if you've ever had a fever and, and, and you have come up from the fevers left you, you're not instantaneously restored to health. But, but she is able continuously to offer uh, herself in service to quite a large household. I'm sure that must have been a lot of work to do. Um, so that's, that's rather a small thing. Other syntactical things that I thought were interesting, verse 41, where the demons cry out, Zuai Hohios Tuthéu. The uh, the fact that you have in the predicate a a definite article, Hohios Tuthéu, you are the very one, the the, the one and only Son of God. That's hugely emphatic. I also thought it was kind of interesting that twice in this short pericope, the verb rebuke is used, and one place where it's rather surprising. Uh, he rebukes the fever. Now, normally we think of a personal object as being the recipient of rebuke. Stop doing that. Uh, and I think that's how it fits very well in verse 41, where he's rebuking the demons and he doesn't allow them to speak. Uh, could it be that there is a kind of a foreshadowing in that rebuking of the fever that Jesus realizes that, that uh, this is more than just a sickness, uh, we all know that when people are suffering from various illnesses, it's not just the uh, physical, it's also the psychological and spiritual that are involved in the spiritual warfare. Could it be that he's also saying that behind this uh, is also the prince of demons who is seeking to thwart the rule of Jesus in people's lives? Then, um, of course, his popularity, uh, they're, they're, they're just hunting him down, Epizetun. Alton uh, in verse 42. They, they really want to find him. They are, uh, they are really on a, on a hunt here. And in fact, I think uh, Mark has the verb dioko there. They're actually in hot pursuit, uh, the crowd is. And then, of course, the programmatic statement in verse 43, which is really, I think, the theme of the whole thing. This is Jesus' agenda. Uh, he says to them, also to the other villages, it is necessary that it is God's will uh, that I proclaim. Uh, God's reign, because this is the reason why I have come. Uh, As I try to think of that, and this is more a thematic thought rather than on the basis of the Greek, I I imagine Peter at the head of the crowd saying, "You know, Jesus, you got to sit up here, man. You got it all going. You, You have the crowds." In the palm of your hand, you could set things up. You, you, we could set up booths, man. We, we, we could have a fair here. People could be streaming to you from all over Galilee, and you would you have made the, the, the hit parade here. You don't have to worry about being taken care of from here on out. You're a popular guy. And Jesus says, No, 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 that's 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 not what this is about. I, I think if I can paraphrase Paul. The love of God compels him because he is convinced that he is the one who is about to die for all. And therefore, all are going to die in him. And he's going to die for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That that same restless and compelling love of Christ is seen in him, embodied in him. So Christus for us, as also Christus en nobis, Christ in us, that drives us on. Uh, with the same kind of restless love that seeks out others and is not willing to rest on our laurels, not looking for popularity, not looking for a place to settle down and say, "Here I'm a success," but always has the eyes on the far horizon. Um, and be, there's some other things, but I think that's enough.
0: That's fantastic. Uh, Tim, back to you. let's let's get some uh, give some ideas for guys who are eager to start writing. You have any initial thoughts on, how you might handle this text? Uh,
1: I, I do. I do. They're, they're very preliminary. Um, I just, I wanted to back off for a second and just notice a couple of things and then kind of talk about some things that you could do with this text. We're here, we're really met for the first time with the miracles of Jesus. And I just wanted to make a couple homiletical comments about that and I think Professor Wendland really just helped us a lot with one of his comments about uh, the rebuking of the the fever, but um, miracles are hard to preach on. And I think we have to acknowledge that a lot of times, I think conservative pastors and theologians will, uh, I think a common thing to do is to almost spiritualize them where, you know, you got the blind man and, <laughs> all of a sudden we're talking about, uh, well, we're spiritually blind and Jesus is going to save us from that. And I, you know, I don't know that that's a real good path to go down when you're preaching the miracles of Jesus. Another common thing is just to, to always say the same thing about, about Jesus. Like, Oh, look, he's the son of God. And then every time you run in a miracle, that's kind of what you say. Um, or you could go to the other end and, and be sort of with the liberals and, uh, Demythologize them. I actually, I was one of my favorite devotionals is written by Bo Gertz. He wrote the Hammer of God, mm-hmm. and that's what he does was with, with the the story right before this it's all one day. But if you if you dig in his devotional, he 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 uh, demythologizes it, and he says, "Oh, there's all these mentally ill people, and Jesus healed that, which is still a miracle." So I don't know, I don't know what you've really. Um, done there other than undercut the text, and, and you still have a miracle staring at you at the face. But, you know, I think w- with the miracles of Jesus, our first challenge here is to preach them in, in, really in a textual way, and to, what is Luke trying to do here? And so I just wanted to, I guess, make that comment. Um, and I think Professor Wedlin is dead on when he says that Uh, verse 43 really is kind of the climactical part of this where you have this divine necessity and I love the words restless love I actually wrote them he's this restless love I have to go to the cross and it connects back to Jesus saying I have to be in my father's house I I have to preach the good news and then he's going to say I have to suffer and die and and right here we're kind of getting looped into this theme that's going to be played out throughout Lent even later and throughout the book of Luke and and as far as like getting into a teaching of it what I'm really drawn to right now in in a preaching of it um, is the episodic nature of the text so we we have like we we have these different episodes and Luke actually gives us these the timing of it which I think is very unique. And so I think a way that you could do this is you could just be amazed at Jesus. Look, look at, look at him here. He look at how much he cares uh, about Simon's mother-in-law. That's an interesting thing too, um, where Peter is going to become a follower in just a second. So I think there's a little bit of Peter happening here. Look at his power over the demons. I mean, this is just amazing. They're just going shrieking out. And, and to understand and be able to discern the darkness of the world. And I think there's ways to pause in there. And, and, and even the spiritual nature of, of, of the things that happen in the world. Um, and then, And then to come to that big proclamation of the divine necessity, the mission of Jesus... Uh, there was a there's a there's a quote that I think would really ring out, and it it goes like this: "He who has a why to live, um, can can bear with almost any how." Or here's another one: um, "We lose our way when we lose our why." Mm-hmm. And Jesus had a why. He he wanted to save us, and he was dead set on it, and he wasn't going to get drawn off into spiritual battles over here. Or become just a doctor for people, he was gonna die and rise again. And I think that means something for us as the church. So I there's definitely a sermon in there.
0: That quote sounds familiar, Tim, but I can't I can't identify it. Do you have
1: the so the first one? The first one is oh, I forget the guy's name. He's a Holocaust survivor. The second I think one it's Ellie Weisel, isn't it, Timothy? Is it Ellie Yeah. Could be. The other one, I, I I looked for a source on it. And I think a number of like leadership gurus have used it over the years. So it's hard to like dig sure. down and be like where the original source is from, but it's a good one. I like it.
0: Sure. John, what about you? You got thoughts? How are you thinking of handling the text?
1: I got a lot of thoughts. So I, I, I do so. Everybody, put your seatbelts on. This is a preacher's podcast, though, so <laughs> watch out. Let me let me add it. So uh, let me make some preliminary um, comments, and then I've I've gone some way into this text as well, and just thought about how I might write it because I'm going to pick it up this weekend, actually. So first of all, like I want to build on what Timothy said. What you do have, you have these fascinating little episodes that, in a certain sense, depict. Um, what Jesus said he was. I mean, he said, and we just looked at this last week, um, if you preached on that Luke text, he said, I'm Isaiah 61. I'm, I'm, I'm God's program of salvation. This is me. Now he's living it out. He's, he's actually doing this in real time. And you get these little episodes um, where it, that build up into a resume. This is This is, you know, God breaking in through Jesus Christ. He has come to be this good news. And Professor Wendland did such a wonderful job talking about that, I I won't talk about it anymore. So, but that's my first general comment is like, how do you, the difficulty of this is taking all these episodes and knitting it into something that actually is a coherent sermon, because there's a lot of different thematic um, things in there. Um, The second comment I have is that um, when you treat law and gospel with this sermon, I, I think one way that you can approach it is instead of doing a law gospel structure or something like that, um, I think we can think about um, doing little packets of law and gospel along the way. And I think that's a nice Waltharian you know, way of doing it. And I'll try to point out some ways that you can do some law gospel packets along the way, as you kind of build this this um, programmatic climax of, of Christ's mission. So, um, A possible sermon form that I think could work is um, what some politicians call story application, which is you just go into it and you tell the stories. Um, And then afterwards you clarify the theological meaning that you wanna bring out of the stories um, by making some applications. So I I think that could work Um, just telling the story of a day in Christ's life. I I might do an aside at this point and say, I I think it's interesting the way that the lectionary was cut, because you could have put in verse 30, you could have just started reading at verse 31 and then finished the chapter, which would have given you a day in the life of Jesus. Um, And you still could do that, you know, like this is Jesus went to church in the morning, and then um, he came home from church, and he helped Peter's mother-in-law, and then after the Sabbath was over, the the floodgates let loose and everybody's bringing the sick there. It's called this all night ministry. I mean, it's amazing. Jesus doesn't sleep. And so you kind of have a a 24 hours in the life of Jesus, um, which would be an interesting sermon all by itself that builds up to um, the great program uh, of Christ's mission. So story application. And um, so I wanna start um, making some comments about how to tell the story. one way to tell a story is to pay attention to the details. Um, I love in verse thirty-nine how Jesus bends over. He bends over. There's, a, it's, it's, it's. You can, you can picture that. The other language that I love in here is high fever, um, and I think when I preach this, I'm going to make some comments about um, the pers- perspicuity of scripture and. Um, how sometimes we can bring uh, the scripture is so perfectly clear, but what happens is we bring modern prejudices to the text. So us modern people, we hear high fever and we're like, pop a couple Tylenols, get some antibiotics, boom, we're ready to go. <laughs> and we 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 don't like an ancient person hears high fever, and they're thinking um, seizure. Uh, they're thinking. Um, I'm thinking about my daughter on the couch reading Laura Ingalls Wilder with my wife and Mary gets scarlet fever, you know, and she goes blind. Um, this is a big deal. And, and people, you know, the bedclothes are soaked with sweat. This is an older woman. Um, Peter's wife is there in the room tending this. I mean, this is, this is an amazing scene. Jesus walks in and I love Luke immediately. She's brand new. I mean, this is powerful, powerful story. It really is. And then as you move on, all of a sudden you have this image and I just, like my heart is captured by this. Like I, this is one of those texts that makes me believe Jesus loves me too. (laughs) Like he loves me too, because he, everybody gets a chance with Jesus and Jesus goes all night. He could have waved his magic wand. He said, he could have said, okay, little Jimmy with the bum foot, Um, uh, Mary with the the bad eyes, boom, everybody's healed. No, 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 no. He lays on hands. Every single person, all night long, Jesus triages. It's an amazing story. And just to see that and live in that and how people do that, whoa, I I mean, that makes my heart come alive. Just thinking about how personal Jesus is, so what I'm trying to do is just develop, you got, you have this, this individual, um, and then you have mass, um, massive people who's, who have who are dealt with individually, physically, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is also dealing with them spiritually, see, now demons are also, I mean, he's dealing with the whole person here, spiritual maladies are being dealt with, demons are are um, fleeing in Jesus' name. Um, And I I think this is where you can do a little theology with people too. Um, How how do you help a modern Western person think about um, demonic um, possession? Because everybody's gonna be like, well, that has nothing to do with me. And I think you can help people with the distinction between um, demon possession and demon influence and how people see the spirit of the air that we all deal with the temptations that we deal with and a preacher has a lot of opportunities there to do a lot on gospel to think about the ways that we have been influenced by demonic activity and then to think about how jesus in his name those demons are driven away they can't stand up in his presence he is the son of god um and then so then you have these episodes and it all builds up to jesus doing the he's going to do this for everybody he wants everybody to know that he is, he is the complete savior of the world. And he's going to stop at nothing to make sure that we all know. So that's the first half of the sermon. <laughs> or maybe the first two thirds. Because <laughs> you just tell the story. I told you I was going off. Um, and then I got three applications. Actually four. I got four applications. Um, and they, And it's the Christian triad. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. And then mission. So the faith is believing Jesus is ultimately going to do this for you. On the last day He's going to do this for you. This is where you do a little theology with people. He hasn't you, you weren't at Capernaum, but you didn't miss out. He's coming back to do this for you. Um, it's Faith. Love. Um, we are Christ's hands and feet in the world. Um, what if the church, I, I, one of the applications I'm going to make with my people is this, and, and this is just doing a little bit of long gospel as you go along here, is I, I think, and this is, I'm stealing this from C.S. Lewis, um, screw tape letters, but um, one of the temptations that we deal with today in this world is a lot of the things that we pay attention to in our lives are just far enough away that they are, impo- are just close enough that they're important to us but they're just far enough away that we don't have a calling to them. So, you know, people say, I see all this evil. And, I, and then I ask them, where is it? And they're like, <laughs> they, they name they name some politician or some other city or something like that. And what I wanna call my people to is just love Capernaum. Love Capernaum, love Capernaum. There's enough for us to do right here. Jesus stayed up all night to love people we can do that too, so that's love. And then hope, and this is where you start working on that whole mission thing of the church that you really wanna, you know, that I wanna climax with, is we can't, we're not social justice, Um, you know, and you have the right up in front of you. Uh, We do love people, but we cannot fix this world because we cannot fix sin, but Jesus can. And so, you know, who hopes for what they already have is what we're talking about here. We are we are going to continue to hope in Jesus and in His return, and that brings us to our mission. This is what we're here to do. And then you do the primacy of the Word and the sacraments. We're here to preach the gospel. I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to you the gospel right now. Jesus has come to do this for you. He's coming back to do it for you. Amen. There, there you go. I think that's um that was a long thing, but
0: <laughs> I wanted to put that out there. It's a preacher's podcast, so. You can tell you're used to preaching in South Carolina, where they let you go for 30 minutes. I know, I know, I know. Like people are like, that's a that's a whole sermon for me right there. But (laughs) Paul, I know you're. At least I don't think you're preaching on the text this weekend, like these other guys are. But is it putting you on the spot to ask how you have any preliminary thoughts how you might handle this text if you were?
2: Yeah, I have a few, not not as many as uh, Tim or John, but uh, I have a, I have a few.
1: <laughs> I'll see if I can scrape Go a couple on. of things
2: together. Uh, actually, the first is kind of summative. Um, we've all been talking about the difficulty of the how this text coheres. You have the episodic nature of it. I think I was hearing those terms. In a sense, what we're talking about is the details are examples of the big. So there, it's the little in big. Uh, that the, you really see the general by its evidence in the particular. Uh, back in the day, we used to have the saying, I love mankind, it's just people I can't stand. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that Jesus shows himself to be the direct opposite of that, that he's somebody who is able to keep focused on the larger mission and he is not going to be knocked off track by crowds and popularity or anything like that. He, his focus is clear and pure. And yet, when he's in Capernaum, he is all in Capernaum. There is—he leaves nothing uh, on the table. He, he, he just puts it all down, um, and and that individualized help and that, that he sees people. He sees people. I, I think that that that's that would be some of uh, uh, my emphasis. If I think of the theme of the Sunday, uh, God's agenda uncovered, I'm thinking of. I I, I think I would uh, think that. Jesus' agenda goes contrary to expectation. Uh, He's not going to let other people make his agenda for him. He's going to follow God's agenda. And that's not according to the canons of popularity that people might normally expect uh, him to follow. Similarly, when he comes, even his coming as Messiah... His word is vulnerable. It can be refused. It can be rejected. And it doesn't necessarily receive the greeting that uh, he might have expected or wanted for it in every case. Uh, amazement is not faith. And uh, being thunderstruck is, is, is not commitment. It's not discipleship yet. So I don't think the, the Copernites are, are really in that place they want a popular Jesus. They want a Davidic Jesus, someone who's going to be coming like a Caesar at the head of a powerful army. And here's a guy that comes at the head of a ragtag band of fishermen into a, a no-account village like Capernaum. I mean, you know, he's not entering into Jerusalem here. <laughs> so it, it, it's so contra expectation. But Jesus does it his way because he's following God's agenda and he's listening to the ticking of God's clock. Uh, and 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 finally, um, I was struck by the individual cases and my own need very often, and I'll, I'll just share this with you. And I'm, I'm sure it's true of everybody. I find the easiest thing when why the particular is so important more not just to talk about the general but also to talk about the particular, is that it's easy for me to believe in general that Jesus died. It's easy for me to believe in general that that, uh, Jesus died for all sinners. And in a general way, even that Jesus died for me. But the hard thing is to believe, the very hardest thing to believe is that Jesus is with me and loves me in just that place where I find myself now, that place of struggle and doubt and fear and trembling and guilt to know that Jesus' hands are going to be laid individually on me, that he's going to have time to lean over my bed like he did with Peter's mother-in-law. That is an astounding comfort to me.
0: Thanks for that. Just, I guess, keying off that because you kind of just started to touch on it. Um, A question that I had, I'm not preaching on this this weekend, but just in reading through it, I, this is, I know if I were preaching the struggle that I'd have, it, I have it whenever there's a text that has to do with just ministry in general, and that's to take a very um, pastor-centered approach to like the malady. And so I'd, I'd look, at, look at this and I would say, see pastors, um, your ministry isn't about doing everything that makes you popular. It's about doing what God has called you to do. Um, I, I, don't know that that's the right malady though, considering I'm not preaching to a bunch of pastors. I'm preaching to, um, uh, people who have different vocations. Do you guys, have any thought, what would be the, whether you want to call it the malady or the thing that, th- that this text calls the average listener for when it comes to repentance, which could be, I guess, a sin of the, you know, hands, mouth, mind, heart. And I, I think Paul just kind of started to touch on that sins of omission, sins of commission. What, what's the malady that guys could maybe aim at? Um, with their listeners in this text, and obviously there's probably more than one.
1: I, I <laughs> got, I, I got one. I got, I got two of these tenants like we're <laughs> jumping on. <at it. laughs> I'm, a, I'm a pastor right now. So this is, this is maybe, this is maybe dated. This may be dated by the time it gets to people's ears, but it may not be. Um, there's um, massive competing agendas, massive, a- and. So I think the malady is is corporate. It's not individual, it's corporate. What are we going to be about as a people? Because there's a lot of movements and there's a lot of agendas all over our culture right now, um, on both sides. And there's a real question that is confronting God's people, and it's what is your mission? And it's so easy to get lost and th- that's why I was trying to preach the sermon I preached to deal with that, that malady like, this is the mission of God's people. And it is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, and he shared it with us in our baptism. And um, I, I think this is a massive opportunity to reveal that to people and to help them deal with that. And, and, and depending on your context, you want, may want to deal with that head
0: on, you know,
1: you really could.
0: This is, a, this is a
1: huge opportunity
0: for that. Yeah, if, I, uh, if you think that's going to be dated in a year from now and people are listening, you have way too much optimism in human being. That's, <laughs> I'm just trying to be humble right now. A lot so happened. I, you know? <laughs> Tim, did you have something you are going to add?
1: I, I'll just say that this is the time of year, at least at my church, when we're thinking about ministry plans and mission. So it, that is kind of right on. It's January I don't know if other churches do that too, but we do. I I would, I think there's an individual sin that, that can be revealed here. I would go, I think the clearest example is it lives in verse 42 where, and this is the opposite of last week where they're kicking Jesus out of Nazareth, but here they won't let him go. And you, you gotta kind of, you gotta kind of put your hands around that. Like what is, what is going on there spiritually? And especially when you read it in context. And when you think about, in, instead of, we don't get Simon's mother-in-law's name. We get Simon's name. And I think that's because Jesus needs Simon to see that all of this stuff happen before he's going to call him to be his disciple. And there, so there's a discipleship theme that, that runs through this text. We got to see who Jesus is and we don't get to tell him what to do we don't we don't get to say jesus just stay here you know um and and peter's gonna do that again later by the way like don't go to the cross jesus uh and and peter's like and jesus says you know get behind me satan so you can see the influence that um uh, satan and demons and demonic activity which is a big theme in this text and I don't know if we're going to get it, again, uh, clearly in the lectionary later. But I I think you have to push on that a little bit and really kind of think about what does it mean to be a disciple? And what it does not mean, it does not mean that we tell Jesus what to do. We get in behind him. And if we have to, we go all the way to the cross with him and we wait for resurrection. So that, that is one thing that, I, that I'm thinking about. And I think it is time. In, in, Epiphany is such a neat season because we get to, at the beginning, we just see Jesus. We're just seeing Jesus. But let's turn the corner with Luke a little bit here. And w- we're not yet followers. We're not yet. But there's there, one thing that I, I want my people to think about is, don't you want to be close to him? I'm like, Of course. Then what that's going to mean is you get in behind them, you know, you t- you you follow them right out right out of Capernaum, and you look and see what does he have for me every single day.
0: Paul, do you have any additional thoughts either on that, or we can go the other direction too um, when we talk about however people define specific gospel, whether it's the gospel phrases that are unique to that text or the gospel remedy. That's the, the unique solution to the malady. That was just e- either direction, more, more on malady or more on specific gospel. Do you have any thoughts? Well,
2: the specific gospel is both the Christ for us and the Christ in us. Uh, the Christ for us, of course, is, is justification, and Christ in us is the gospel of sanctification. That we know that it takes a love that's restless like this, that wants to reach a world, and it takes just that kind of love to reach me, to know that there's just that kind of heart that is seeking me. And doesn't that also kind of tie into the uh, agenda thing too? Because people with all these corporate competing agendas, we can take it on that level. I I, I think that the real problem is a crisis of trust. Nobody trusts any authority anymore. And here Jesus comes along, you know, not like, uh, with a flash and a bang, but with, as this humble rabbi leading a ragtag band of, of, uh, of fishermen to a no-account village. I mean, and, and yet, what has the authority to win your heart? Somebody that waves a sword at you, somebody that shouts at you, somebody that even comes up with a lot of clever arguments and makes you look stupid? Uh, somebody that you're just convinced is going to be the success of the country, somebody that you just think is going to be the destruction of the country. How do you know any of that? But here you have this gentle man who goes all the way the way of the cross and wins you by the sheer force of his love, and he shows that love in the way he treats Simon and mother-in-law and all the sick and then that love and wanting to go on to other uh, people. And that love is a fire, it, it, it is a fire in us. So it also leads to sanctification living as well. So I guess that, that's that's probably enough.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. It kind of leads to our just final thoughts for today, where we talk about potential applications. And I think Professor Wendland just just gave us some of them. And in some cases, the application is just plenty for the text to say, um, just rest in the peace that you've just been given. Um, and then there's other texts that suggest a change of behavior or a change in, in thinking differently about, about the world in view of the text. Um, Tim or John, you guys have any, any potential applications you might try and make? Oh, I guess you kind of got into that earlier, John, your faith, hope, and yeah. love.
1: The only thing that I wanted to do is point out how awesome Professor Winland's comment was, I, like rewind a little bit and listen to that section again if you're on the podcast the hardest thing to believe that that line was awesome and i i want to connect to that that because that connected to me i have a so i'm not doing application right now i'm just doing appropriation there's the, the the particular here is so prominent in this in this text and this is a chance that it's like one thing that i want for every single one of my people when they listen to sermon is that is i want them to think that they're Jesus' favorite, and when they pray to him, when they come to him, he's, they're the only thing that is on his mind, you know, he spends all night with with each person, he bends over Peter's mother-in-law, and he does the same for us, and um, so I think that's enough on that, just appropriate that. I would, I would, there's one part of this text, one of the particulars we haven't really talked about yet either. And to me, it's, it it makes the same point, but um, Jesus puts his hands on them. And I think we have to understand, I think we get that more for people who have lived through COVID now. I I read um, an award-winning memoir of a nurse who can remember how guilty she felt because she stole a lady's baby away from her because she had COVID, and th- this mother for for days, for long days, couldn't hold her newborn, couldn't touch her own child because of the sickness. And the only reason I I, I say that is because um, Jesus touched sick people. I mean, y- you got to think about that. He touched sick people, and it. it it, it speaks to his power, like the sickness isn't kind of running up his arms and about to take his life. It, it, the power runs the other way where he just clears everything up in their health again. But it also speaks to his love and his concern. And I, I just can't get that out of my heart. He touched them. He touched sick people. And so you think about his hands you think about his hands and these are the same hands that we're going to be later pierced. I'm making the same point, but maybe maybe we're seeing the same things in this text.
0: That's fantastic. Hey, you guys have any, any final thoughts? Otherwise we're getting pretty close to when we wrap up. Hearing nothing. Great, seeing
1: Great text. Great. To, at yeah. first I was like, oh man, what am I going to say? And then I was like, oh, I got too much to say. <laughs> so,
0: No, I, I appreciate what you guys did in um, staying in Luke four or, or five for a while. I think that that's a, just a, there's a meta narrative in there that um, you, you really done a beautiful job unpacking over a couple of weeks. Um, that'll serve people well. So thank you brothers for your time. Look forward to uh, next week where we pick it up in Luke five, uh, Jesus calling disciples. That'll be a great time. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Bye,
1: guys.